The spires of High Reach tower into the sky. White buildings and observatories, places of study, places of learning, and homes populate the city. Caleb and his new companion, Hynir, make their way through familiar streets to a familiar home. It is nestled tightly among a strip of row houses. His cousin, Virgil, opened the door to his surprise seeing Caleb and this large, large wolf. Inviting them inside, informed Caleb that everybody thought he was dead, that he had been missing for over 30 years. He had been in the middle of making dinner for himself and his family, and inviting Caleb and Hynir in shows them to the dining room. It looks a little different than it did the last time Caleb saw it. Do you want to describe what the inside of this house looks like? Yeah, I think it's very well furnished with lots of antique and heirloom tables, chairs, mirrors. I think that there's a lot of intricate patterns, very painstakingly carved into the tables, chairs, a lot of them symbols that are kind of revered or sacred to the history of High Reach and to the Hillian people. Birds, I think there's a lot of geometry. They like things kind of neatly organized and it shows in their architecture. I think that there are plants as well and there's some kind of bowls of fruit and other things scattered throughout the throughout the room. Virgil shows the two of you the table and begins to set another place. His family shortly comes down, his wife and their two sons, who are people you've never met before. Uh, have I met Virgil's wife? Yeah, let's say you've, you have met his wife, but there are these two teenagers that are unfamiliar to you. You hear from the other room, somebody called, who is at the door? And Virgil says, um, Lorna, do you remember my cousin, Caleb? And a head pops in through the door. The one who went missing? And you see her eyes widen in surprise as she sees you. And she comes in. Where have you been? We all thought you were dead. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I heard. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. And who's your friend? She sort of eyes the wolf nervously. Yeah, that's that's Pioneer. We're we're new friends, but uh, don't worry about him. He's uh, he wouldn't hurt a fly. Nice to meet you. Um, well, they're are they staying for? You're staying for dinner, right? Uh, we couldn't possibly impose. No, you you have to tell us all about where you've been. Sure, There's a lot to sure. catch up on. Yeah, there's a lot that I need to be caught up on as well. Caleb takes a seat and gestures to Einir to make themselves comfortable. Virgil and Lorna sit and shortly are joined by their two children, uh, Dared and Arvid, who are basically strangers to you. You all sit and start talking. Well, let me get you caught up on the last couple of days for me. I traveled to Volk to investigate uh, some interesting finds. A colleague of mine communicated that he had something he wanted to share, a guy named Bellman. Bellman was not alive when I got there. I investigated his, his home. I tried to find what, what secret 
you know, was buried in there. And I entered into a place, this other place that was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It had, it had uh, flowers that were straight out of a painting, brighter than things you'd, anything I'd ever seen before. And creatures or beings made from wood. And, and really, I, I think that this other place was somehow connected to another world, like an, like an afterlife. It had, you won't believe me, it's going to sound crazy, but when I got to the edge of this place, uh, it was like I could see into the, the abyss of what the seven rivers were. It was like they were there, these rivers of death. And, you know, elements of what we think about reality were kind of torn apart in front of me. This place was unlike anything in our world. The rules of nature didn't seem to apply. I found a way out, but when I got out, it seemed like I traveled a really far distance. I think I, I came out in the Nordia, across the entire continent. And for you to tell me that time had passed in a way I that it didn't pass for me is a shock, but it's a, it's one shock in a list of shocking details. What happened? Did a did a necromancer do it to you? Uh, not that I'm aware of. But I was just exploring. I was just seeking knowledge. I mean, I suppose someone could have been involved, but I, not to my knowledge. What do you think the place was? Well, I, I got this book. This book has some details, Spellman's Journal, that they talk about in other place. I think that that's where I went. And Bellman was the, the colleague. That's right. You know, now that you mentioned necromancers, there was some pretty unusual things going on in Bellman's space. And I'm guessing that that had something to do with what he wanted to show me. And it could have dealt with some kind of forbidden art, magic, necromancy, something that tore that, that gateway that I walked through. It's definitely... Well, we would call it forbidden knowledge at the, at the towers within the fellowship. And at that, somebody brings dinner in. Dinner is served by the family's uh, servant. They are a small bird in a humanoid automaton. They bring in a platter with some local winter vegetables, simple cuts of meat, a little bit leaner than what Calum would have been used to about 30 years ago, but it smells great. Yeah, this is probably the best thing he's eaten since he was a couple weeks. Bowl. Yeah, and maybe even before that, actually. I think dinner passes, unless you have anything else you want to say, or, well, you want you probably want to ask them questions. Yeah, Caleb asked the family, so what's, what have I missed? It's kind of been the same for 30 years. The dead are still a problem. Ghosts are still popping up everywhere. The fellowship's got a, gotten a bit a bit stronger. Um, they've been recruiting out west here. Your old friend Balthazar is a little bit higher up than he was the last time you saw him. Well, hopefully he'll will be too high up to uh, disregard my presence and the information that I plan to share with them. The uh, Ever Young Prince still rules Guildland. Um, we've still got our president here. You wouldn't know him. No, I guess I wouldn't. Well, uh, it's quiet for a minute. And Virgil says, you can, he looks to Lorna and nods 
uh, you can stay the night if you need longer if you need we can we can put you up for a little while um perhaps just the night and then pioneer and i will be off i believe that information that i have is paramount to communicate to the iron towers and we should probably head out forthright the meal goes on for a little bit longer the automata brings out dessert what's for dessert it's some kind of uh tart there's like some little tarts that are filled with uh small uh, berries and flavored with orange and rose mm-hmm. it's a lot fancier than any of the food that was for dinner mm-hmm. we had them imported from brightport the oranges they look delicious thank you and virgil asks arvid to make up a room for you and says i'm i'm afraid our upstairs rooms i don't know if you could get up the stairs uh pioneer we can bring some pillows and blankets down here if you don't mind sleeping in the living room and Heiner says it's all right with me and once the room's set up Dared shows you up so this house was familiar uh, because it actually belonged to Virgil's parents and this room that they've set up for you is the room that Virgil had as a kid the bed it, it looks the same there's wallpaper on the wall that is familiar one of the walls is not papered, just painted white. There's a little oil lamp on the table that Arvid has lit for you. And Dared hands you a blanket and says, It's nice to meet you, um, Uncle Uncle Calum. Smiles awkwardly. Nice to meet you too. Hey, been a long time coming I, for you, I guess. Hey, thank you for the blanket. Does Calum do anything in this room before laying down for the night? Hmm. There can, there's maybe there's like a little writing desk or something. He sits down at the writing desk and takes out mm-hmm. his possessions. I feel like this is something that I should do more often as a player for like long running games. So just to remind myself of all of what he has. So he he's got Bellman's journal, right? Mm-hmm. And puts the journal on the desk and just opens it up to a random page. He opens up to a random page. And on it is what looks like an in-progress map of a maze. The path goes in circles and at right angles and covers most of the page. And in the margins, there are notes in two different handwritings. He takes out the bottle that Saffron is in and puts it on the Mm -hmm. table. And before he puts it on the table, he holds it in front of his eyes and mm-hmm. kind of pivots himself so that a, a light on the table is shining through the bottle and he tries to see if he can see anything in the bottle. I'm picturing the way that Caleb would look at it, which is to like look directly at it, right? Like right mm-hmm. in front of his face. Mm-hmm. He sees nothing. Um, he puts it on the table and pushes it a little bit far, uh, like an arm's reach away. Okay. He pulls out a flower that he took from the mm-hmm. other place. A flower... It feels very fragile. Yeah. It had maybe been knocking around in his little side bag for a little while. It might have even gotten mm-hmm. a little damaged. Yeah, in the bottom of his bag there are a couple little intense blue 
chips. Mm-hmm. Though it doesn't look as as intense as it did when he was in the other place. And he just he's gonna study it for a little while, holding some of the holding it up to the light, holding the little pieces up to the light. As you turn and hold that flower up, looking at it up in the light, you see some movement in that bottle out of the corner of your eye. Huh? And then that? when you look straight at it, there's there's nothing. Hmm. Is it moving because I wasn't watching it? Or could it have something to do with this flower? And he takes a flower and just kind of kind of waves it around in front of the bottle to see if it has an effect. Nothing. Nothing happens. It was worth a try. I was already holding it. He is kind of just playing with these things. Not really trying to, that hard to discover anything. I think he maybe has like an old handkerchief that he will put the flower in and kind of wrap it up so that it's going to stay safe. Did you take out the little stone saw already? Forgot about the stone saw. The stone saw is really just a, a tool that he made. Maybe he'll use it again if he needs to. He takes it out, looks at it, just admires his, his very impromptu handiwork. And I think he has a... I'll just, I'm just going to go ahead and... This has probably already been established, but I'm going to flip a light to say that he has like a small toolkit. Can I do that? Yeah, like a small version of his uh, alchemical kit that he had back on Folk. Yeah, it's sort of almost like like a lockpick set or something. That a thing that kind of opens yeah. up and has like tweezers. Maybe has like a small magnifying glass and it has a little area, a little slot that he can slip his little handmade saw into. Yeah. When he was on the road, Rallus, the Ferris that he was traveling with, was an alchemist. So maybe he traded a couple coins for this little kit. Mm-hmm. He had nothing. When he saw him using it. He had to, you know. He had some coins. Yeah, some coins and a bottle with a yeah with a something yeah. in it. You said that while you were traveling, you had been making potions and stuff from stuff that you're finding, herbs mm-hmm. and and things on the side of the road and trying to sell them to get a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. So you probably put a couple coins down on the table as well. Yeah. Just a little bit of silver. How much money do I have right now? Oh, it doesn't really matter. I kind of don't think it matters either. Enough to like... Let's say you've got... You've, you've got like a... A hundred? Nah. You've probably got two, two ten, uh, ten silver pieces and one five. Okay. Okay. And each, each country uses different coins, but they're all generally worth about the same, and they don't really silver silver, mm-hmm. especially with the dead around. It's mostly just like, probably a lot of it has to do with the weight, which is probably mm-hmm. sort of standardized, and then it's got whatever whatever leader or insignia kind of just stamped on it. Mm-hmm. The old coins that have the, the prints, and the newer coins that have the, the tower. So he... Uh... If he got some silver, he knows that silver is something that can repel the dead. Yeah. He doesn't want to torture Saffron. Not that he, he already is torturing Saffron, basically. Saffron's his prisoner. Well, he doesn't, he's not sure if he can trust Saffron. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I want to look more so at that, at that maze. Okay. What do you think you would be rolling? Well, you said perception earlier. What, uh, what are you looking at? What, what about the maze that is interesting? I think he's pretty tired and is kind of, you know, despite the fact that he's trying to do some uh, research, is drifting off a little bit. And I think he is zoning out looking at this maze. I think he's going to try and kind of uh, uh, walk 
through this maze um, visually, kind of using his eye to travel through it is what he's doing. And maybe that doesn't have to do with my role so much. What sort of information do you want to get from it? I don't know. I think what's more important is the text, right? Mm-hmm. So he makes his way through the maze and it just sort of opens up into nothing. It's kind of unfinished, right? Yeah, it actually goes on to the previous page. Like you flip to the previous page and mm-hmm. it continues. And then you flip to the next page and it continues there as well. The this text is... in the margins, one is a set of notes, hedge maze, constant mist, dim light. I say the other set of text is seems to be encoded. Oh, right. Some sort of cipher. Encoded text. We'll see about that. Um, he's going to try and decode this coded text. Knowledge? I'm going to say without any sort of clues as to the context or way that it's encoded, it's going to be against four purples. And I'm going to flip a story point as well. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be against three purples and one red. Okay. And you said you're tired, so take a setback. Oh, no. Narratively tired, not rolling wise. (laughs) It has been a long day. You've walked like 10 miles and then been chased through the woods by giant wolves. Mm -hmm. Not a great day. So any reasons you would get a boost? Could I use my uh, talent familiar sky to uh, No. no, no, but wait. Make a hard knowledge check to reveal the current type of environment. You're in a other, room. Or other with use, a bed. Or other useful information. <laughs> no. Okay, fine. A boost because Caleb is excited to find something to... Uh, his, his excitement is, is not probably worthy of a boost. Okay, I guess I can't take any boost. Uh, you could have a boost because you've got all night. Yeah, but he's tired. It's true. That means if he... Okay, I think I should have a boost because he has a lot of time and he's in a good working environment, nice light fixtures, but I think that if he fails or with a with a disadvantage, I think that this could be have to do with whether he makes it through the night or dozes off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's three purple. Yep. And what skill am I using? Three purple and one red. Don't forget that red. I think it's going to fail really bad because it's going to have to do with what check he does. It should probably be knowledge. I could see knowledge, history, and adventuring. Okay, let's do history. That's probably it. Because he has studied codes, has some experience with the the history of codes. Okay, it gives him a fighting chance at passing. So that's going to be one yellow, one green, one blue, one red, one two three purple and a black is going to fail but maybe we'll fail with a with a uh something good wow one success and two threats so your knowledge of history paid off you realize that this is an old cipher called the angelus cipher that was used by saints about 300 years ago when they were being hunted down by the fellowship uh, so that they could communicate with each other without the the paladins of the fellowship understanding what they were talking about. The problem with the Angelus cipher is that it takes a lot of time to decode. That's your two threats. 
Okay. Is that you're not going to be able to do the whole thing tonight. Okay. Um, and yeah. So maybe the two threats is that it requires a key. Mm, that would mean that's more, that would mean I failed. Well, you know what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, fine. And so I need a key to <laughs> decipher this. Yeah. But I know what it is. And I know that if I have the key, I can do it. Yeah. Okay. That seems fine. That seems fair. So he knows, he knows that. You, yeah, so Caleb knows what type of code it is and how to decode it. He just needs to figure out the specific word that allows him to decode it. Okay. And that might require uh, scouring the book. There might be something hidden in the book. Maybe part of the Angelus cipher is that the key is the name of the person that it was written for. Hmm. The key? Okay, I get it. I get it. Well, when you put it to me that way, he he he's gonna try and use his name. Uh, he tries his name. He tries Bellman. What other names would you try? Saffron. He tries Saffron. No luck with any of them. Uh, the last one he tries is Pioneer. No luck there either. Oh, even when you spell it right. Didn't think so. Oh, I spelled it wrong the first time. Let me try again. No, still no. So with that knowledge, Calum calls it a night. So. Yeah, he, he retires for the evening. He lays in the bed that is oddly familiar and foreign at the same time, looking at the spot on the white painted wall across from him that in his youth, when he and Virgil were playing around, uh, Virgil accidentally pushed him into. And there's a crack that lo- runs along that wall. And he falls asleep with his mind on that crack across the room. As he drifts off to sleep, he thinks about that that cipher. And I think that he's really physically tired, but his mind is racing through different possibilities, through different names that could um, decipher that code. And I think that he knows that the names that he's thinking of are can't be can't possibly be the answer but he keeps scrolling through names and i think that it kind of affects his sleep a little bit and sort of gives him a lot of sort of like a stress dream as he does finally drift off into sleep never check balthazar's name but that's one of the names he tries to check as he drifts off the fastest way from High Reach to the Iron Tower is to go through the Highlands and the Highland Lakes, probably skirting the south end of the Eastern Spine. Calum also knows that he could go north above the Giant's Plains and then south to the Iron Tower. And the last thing he could do would be to get to Hearth. And then from Hearth, he could actually take... He could he could take a train that would get him almost there. So Caleb needs to get back to the Iron Towers, and he's definitely taking a train. He's had enough of this like climbing over mountains with uh, with traders, and it's just too exhausting for him. So he he and Heinier are gonna head to Hearth, and they're gonna take a train as close as they can. Well, you know what. It's a huge distance between High Reach and a Hearth. Let's say there's a train 
that goes from High Reach to Hearth. I think that there should be. I think that there should yeah. be like a vast like train infrastructure, at least to like the five largest cities uh, in the continent. Yeah, Brightport to High Reach to Hearth to Gilder. So Caleb is going to take a train all the way to all the way to the Iron Tower, and I think it's how much of it's going to cost. Probably most of his his coin to get there. Yeah, I think High Reach to Hearth is going to probably cost almost all of it. Okay, well they're going to do that's first things first to High Reach or to to Hearth. So okay. Caleb parts with his family and tells them. Thank you very much for facilitating my companion and I. Sorry if my disappearance caused any emotional distress to you and yours, but uh, if there's anything I can do, and I know there's very little I can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Just be sure to write. Uh, absolutely. Will do. I'll keep you updated. No more no more disappearing. You'll, you'll be hearing from me. Thanks, Virgil. You head through the city streets of high reach and make your way down to a large open cavern pillars hold up arching ceilings and there's a large platform that um, leads to the train the train that heads goes from high reach to hearth cuts through the western spine mountains it's very twisting and turning and eventually makes its way out into the highland lakes area the Ticket costs most of the silver that Calum has in his possession, and he'll probably have to do something about that when he gets to Hearth. You want to describe what this train is like as uh, as Calum boards? Okay, this train was constructed in Hearth. I think a lot of more industrious machines are constructed in Hearth. Is that is that track? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, this is a very sophisticated and efficient piece of machinery. I think that it is pretty simple in construction. A lot of large, flat, geometric planes. And when in certain areas, it's very aerodynamic. And it's made from pretty thick plated steel. And mm-hmm. it also has like a, a nice bright coat of paint on it some kind of faded red paint and blue stripes and it's got windows in some of the passenger cars but i think that most of these trains have maybe a few passenger cars and then the backs uh, are meant for transporting goods from one area to another Mm -hmm. yep there are a few passenger cars they are mostly made out of wood but have metal plating on the sides to protect from the dead Mm -hmm. so you board and the train gets going. Um, as Caleb has probably taken the train before. Yeah. This is nothing new to him. Yeah, Caleb gestures to Pioneer, said, says to him, Hey, uh, have you ever been on one of these before? I can't say I have. Uh, I don't like it very much so far. Ah, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Trains are wonderful. Uh, just sit back and relax. You're going to be there before you know it. No uh, running, climbing, no barking, no no traveling through portals and all that stuff. You just sit there and glide through the air. Wonderful. Uh, I feel like I could get there a lot faster than this. I mean, 
you, you tell me that like you and I could get there faster than this? Possibly. I mean, I haven't been to... Where are we going? Let's just say we're going east. I haven't been east, so there's the possibility that we'd get stuck somewhere, but... Okay, I, I'm, I'm not risking that. Is this thing supposed to rattle like this? Yeah, it rocks you to sleep, right? Come on, relax. Excuse me. And Caleb gestures to... <laughs> Is there any, like, food service on this train? Yeah, I think... Uh, are the two of you in, like, a box? Yeah, I think we got a box. Uh, I think Yeah, was, of course. It was... Uh, I think we actually had to get a box because of Pioneer size. Yeah, it was either get a box or get four seats. And it was cheaper to get a box. I think it was either get a box or um, rent out um, shipping storage for Pioneer. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to take a little over a day to to get there. You're probably going to have to sleep here. Okay. And... Um, is there anything you'd like to do on your journey? Yeah, there. I'm sure with this sort of length, there is probably somebody that comes by maybe within the first hour with uh, a cart that has some food. Yeah, Caleb, Caleb asks for some food for the two of them. Some, I'll, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll do it in character. <laughs> they are a Grenker. They are about four and a half feet tall with green, greenish skin. They look sort of amphibious. Two small, wide-set eyes, a big smiling mouth when they come by, and a sort of like an antenna that comes out of the center of their head, which you know can light up. Mm-hmm. You two need something? Got some snacks? Got some uh, some drinks? Absolutely. We, we could use some some snacks and some drinks. Um, you want some apple juice? Uh, maybe something a little... Tea? A little stronger for my friend here. It's a little uh, a little nervous. Um, coffee? Some, he doesn't need any coffee. Black um, tea? I'll, I'll take a black tea. Maybe some kind of... Tomato juice? He's not going to like that. No. Some kind of, yeah, like a, some kind of tonic for, for his nerves, some kind of, I don't know. Hey, uh, herring juice? He might like that, actually. Uh, one herring, herring juice, uh, black tea for me. Um, let's see. He snaps his fingers under the cart, lights a little fire under a kettle. Lovely. Um, maybe a, some kind of meat for, for, for my associate. Um, and, uh, oh, uh. Uh, the lunch cart doesn't come by until a little bit later. All right, fair enough. I've only got beet chips and and some stones, peanuts. Oh, uh, give me some of these nuts. And some of this looks like uh, some kind of animal skin hide treat. Okay, fine. And uh, just let the others know that uh, cart nine, mine. We've got a we've got a three or four hundred pound. Um, you're in here, so just be ready for that. <laughs> okay. All right. He pours your tea, puts the, takes some loose tea from a little tin and puts it in a little bag and puts it in the cup for you. Uh, I'll be back to grab your uh, your cups. He holds out his hand expectantly. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that is for you. And he uh, reluctantly drops a coin into the into their hand, the Branker's hand. Oh, thank, thank you. He closes the door and moves to the next room, the next box. Hey. The scenery goes by, mountains turning into swamp and forest. Do you have anything you want to do on the train? Do you have anything you want to do with those light side points? Hmm. Okay. 
So he, Caleb is obsessed with trying to figure out how to solve the Angelus cipher. Uh-huh. Did I pronounce that correctly? Angelus. Angelus cipher. So he opens up the book again and studies the text, studies some more of the text that seems like it has the, um, the cipher coded through it. Do you want to make an impossible check? Yeah. I want to make an impossible check. You have to flip a story point to do it. Okay. I actually don't even remember how many purples, so hold on a second. It's not like five or six purples. It's something like five or six. All right. For those of you interested in the rule, an impossible check only requires a uh, story point flip, and then it is the same difficulty as a formidable check. It's hmm. five purples. But it's... you cannot flip any more story points with, for this check. Still seems pretty impossible. So, what sort of ability are you using to try and figure this out? I'm gonna, You're doing yeah. like trial and error, so maybe perception. I'm okay with perception. I also wondered if I could magically try and do this, but I don't know if that makes any sense within the world that we've built. It doesn't really make any sense in in this world. Mm-hmm. I thought okay. of that earlier, and I thought, nah. I think let's just make it perception. Okay. Um, so, on my perception. Okay, maybe I'll get some advantages, but then probably going to fail. So, five purple? Yep. Bonus for, uh, bonus blue for having thought about this all in his dreams. Dreamt about this. <laughs> you seem reluctant. Uh, no. <laughs> okay because Uh, it's basically you're going through all of the names that exist uh yeah it's impossible (laughs) I think it should really be more than five purples yeah I agree because if he passes this it's going to be like oh he accidentally got it right (laughs) hey maybe he'll pass it maybe he'll get like one letter of a name right right sure we'll see that would make perfect sense that you would be able to be like oh I think I figured out what all the, the um, all the A's yeah. turn into, yeah. <laughs> I'm upset. You got two successes and two threats. So yeah, Caleb passed an impossible check, a check that he should not have been able to pass because it was impossible, and he did it. And okay, Caleb figures out. He, he figures it out one letter at a time. He ties in those those letters that repeat again and again the e's the a's and that name is chauncey and he starts to decipher it but then i'll flip a dark side point he hears screeching first and then feels the train jolt and begin to shudder and slow down and it's looking out the windows it's just coming into a big curve and he can see that at the end of the curve, they're just through all these branches and vines and hanging vegetation. He can see that there's a an enormous tree down on the tracks. You hear a little ping from above, which makes you instinctively look up uh, to yeah. the, you know, you know the ping. Oh yeah. Makes him instinctively look up at the um, wouldn't be a speaker. So if if 
if it was a speaker, it might be like a connected system of like yeah, like little horns, or it might be like connected to a little system of bells. Right. Yeah. So he hears the the bell, and there's this little uh, fluted tube up in the corner of his box, and you hear a voice, a kind of quiet voice over all the screeching and everything, say, "Everybody, hold on." We got a tree in the tracks. We're going to have a bit of a delay. Just stay in your seats and we'll get it all sorted out. The train comes to a screeching halt about 30 feet away from the fallen tree. Caleb looks to Heinier. I'm sure Heinier is awake and alert. Yeah, very. He did not like that. As that was happening, he put his paws over his years. It's too loud for him. Uh, sorry, Heinier, that, that doesn't usually happen. Uh, s- something's going on here. I can smell something. Uh, you're paranoid. Probably nothing. I mean, log on the tracks, it happens sometimes. Give me a perception check. What it's, two purples with my... a setback for distance. Okay, two successes, two threats. The tree in the tracks is distant, but you can see that at least a portion of the trunk was cut rather than it falling naturally. Uh, Heiner, you make you make a strong argument. Something is afoot. I told and, you. Yeah, well, I and I heard you, and I agree with you. I just had, you know, I didn't want to jump to conclusions, but sometimes the, the conclusion you jump to can be correct. And uh, yeah, I can I can see that that tree was cut, and that means that we have stopped for a read. And that reason is not going to be to our liking, I assume. Um, well, shall we look into it further? I, I guess. Seems like the proactive thing to do. I guess. Heinier gets up. Does Heinier do like a like a shake? So like, I mean, that's what my cat does usually when she gets up. Yeah, Heinier gets up, stretches out his shoulders, does a little little shake and you hear him crack his neck does a check in with pioneer pioneer like had some accoutrement uh some like paint and like some like piercings yeah. and stuff he still has all that uh-huh. stuff oh yeah okay he also had um he had a, a bag of his own he's not shared what's in the bag yet hmm. what's in that bag uh yeah he as he gets up he grabs his bag with his teeth flings it over his shoulder and tightens the straps you see that as he's putting it on it's like specially made to have these like big rings that he can hook a claw into and pull to tighten Mm -hmm. I think uh, Calum with the thought of being proactive in this situation uh, swings open the door of uh, Boxcar compartment 9 and Mm -hmm. finds the nearest employee and wants to inform them of what he thinks is going on. Uh, the nearest employee is the Grenker that you saw before, and he says, eh, you just uh, stay in your seat. The The conductor said uh, everybody just needs to stay in their seats. Just uh, head back to your box, please. I'm. Uh, my name is Caleb Clara, and I'm with the uh, Fellowship of the Seven Rivers. <laughs> I have reason to believe that something is happening right now. Something that could involve the dead, could involve... Um, bandits trying to take charge of 
your wares, and perhaps your clientele. I suggest that you inform the conductor as soon as possible. My associate and I are going to disband from the train and investigate. And he flashes his medal, his, uh, his medallion. Yeah, the Grinker does not really care about your medallion. He says, just the the conductor said get back to your seat, so you, you better get back to your seat. And Heinier growls. Easy there, Heinier. Um, apparently, my um, authority is either not known or not respected here at, uh, in the hearth and in this area. And that's, well, that's that. I, my apologies. Consider us um, abandoning the train at this time. We're no longer passengers, so don't you worry about what we're about to do. There's no re-entry. All right, we'll see about that, but fair enough. And Heinier growls again, and he goes up <laughs> and leaps to the side and lets the two of you pass. Okay. You think, exit the car, yeah? Yeah, I think there's probably a back, like like a connecting door between boxes. Yeah. Yep, you exit at uh, the um, end of the car, and there's a little metal iron rail stair that goes down like two steps, and you're on the ground. There are large stones beneath your feet, and it looks like the the rails are raised a bit, maybe like five feet off of the surface of the ground. You are a decent distance away from high reach now, and you're out of the mountains. This is the the highlands area, and you are close to the lakes. The ground looks soggy, and it's definitely warmer than it was on high reach, and you're you're kind of hot in the clothes that you have because you had a lot of layers on when you mm-hmm. left. Ugh, a bit warm, Pioneer. What do you think? I think it's fine. You right. start sniffing the air. Smell anything unusual, out of sorts, Pioneer? I think there's something dead close by. Gross. Glad I can't smell that. Let's take a look at the, um, let's take a look at that down tree. Yeah, the two of you move forward to the front of the train. The engine has like one of those big metal scoops that's made out of solid iron mm-hmm. and 20 feet or so in front of that there's the downed tree so Calum and Calum and Heinier are investigating this giant cut tree upon investigating it you spot do I want to make your roll I want to make your roll okay. average perception check or an average knowledge adventuring or education i take a survival why don't i have an education option um i think the one that is called knowledge is supposed to be education okay on your sheet i wish i had a better knowledge because i hate to just always do perception but it's my best one i'm gonna do perception okay one failure this tree is very large it's got a uh, circumference of about 20 plus feet it looks like it was probably dead before it fell and it looks like it was fallen. It was felled. That's what you do to a tree on purpose. Mm-hmm. And Heiner sniffs around. Yeah, there's something dead. And there's also some smoke. Something else. Something low and sweet. Hmm. I mean, this tree was definitely cut. If you're smelling the dead, then, I mean, this could be a trap. I mean, I know that we're 
we're walking into a trap, but I mean, I'm hoping that we're walking into avoiding uh, said trap. Like a pioneer, a, a good trap. Is there such a thing? I mean, I'm, I'm hoping we're ahead of the trap here. We know that we're in a trap. Those those poor souls on that train have no idea what's going on. And you know, as a as as a representative of the fellowship, it's my duty, perhaps yours as well, to try and solve this problem as gracefully as possible. As uh, the two of you talk, a stone folk is slowly moving up from the, the train, and he gets up to where the two of you are and says, Well, looks like a tree fell. I'm a shrewd observation, my, uh, my fine stony friend. Can you uh, handle moving the tree? Do you need any assistance? Somebody calls from the front of the train. Does that look like a tree fell? And he calls back. Yep, another tree fell. Want to come on and give me a hand with this? You can go ahead and tell him that I agree that a tree fell. Um, he says as as loud as he can. Hey, this guy agrees. Yep. It's a tree. The other stone folk slowly climbs out of the front of the train. Heinier, we we should investigate. This is obviously a trap. It's probably about to spring on us. Take a take a good sniff in and see if you can find the source of the dead that you detected. And we'll we'll head that direction quietly. Heinier uh, inhales a deep breath. Yeah, follow me. He rolled two successes and one triumph. And he moves off of the the stones of the track and into the swampy woods. And Calum heads close behind. The ground is moist. The air is a lot warmer than in High Reach. Um, mosses and vines hang from the, the tall trees. And the trees around here have very, very long spanning branches that crisscross above your head. The forest is not particularly dense and there's not a ton of underbrush, just these very, very wide trees with branches like architecture above your heads. And as you move through them, Calum spots out of the corner of his eye a, a dim glow moving parallel with you. Hmm, that's a bit unusual. Not something I am used to seeing every day. Let me inspect a little further. Uh, you want to give me a lore check? Yeah, Caleb's pretty good at lore. It's my difficulty. Average. One success, one threat. Yeah, it appears to be a ghost. As this area is swampy, it is probably, probably a wraith. That probably uh, is your threat. Um... Don't uh, look now, Heinier, but we have uh, we've got some company here. I don't know if your Vargir uh, eyes can detect that faint glow traveling alongside us. Yeah, I see it. Ghost, probably a wraith or a shade or something. Other Place Month continues. This Wednesday, October 20th, join Doug and I for another live play session. In this session, we'll travel to the farthest western shores of Fenrain on a search for treasure and adventure. Check the show notes for a link to our Discord, and join us live. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of The Other Place. Liking the show and want more? Be sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, and stop by our Twitter or Discord to say hello. The Other Place is a production of Nightcast Creative. Visit nightcastcreative.com to find out more about us and the podcasts we make. I would recommend moving the tree uh, post-taste. Post-haste. Post-taste. Delicious. Right after you eat it. Uh...